0: Hi, everyone. My name is Anastasia Lapatina, and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a video podcast from the Kyiv Independent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And today, we're talking about the issue of corruption in Ukraine, how it manifested in Ukraine's judicial system, and whether holding corrupt people in power became harder with the start of Russia's full-scale invasion. I'm joined by the Kyiv Independent reporter Oleh Sukhov who's covered corruption in Ukraine for many years. Oleg, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: So on the night of May 26th, uh, there was a terrible car accident in Kyiv. A 22-year-old soldier of the National Guard who was in duty at a roadblock was hit and killed instantly by a drunk driver. And the story matters to us because that drunk driver was actually a judge. Uh, He was the head of a district court in Makariv, a city in Kyiv suburbs. And according to the Deura Foundation, which is a corruption watchdog, this judge, Alexei Tandir, actually helped a different judge avoid any responsibility for drunk driving also back in 2021 by closing his case, essentially. So naturally, the Ukrainian society was really upset about this whole situation because it highlights a certain pattern, a pattern of corruption and impunity within the judicial system in Ukraine. So... I want to start by talking about that broadly. How widespread is this issue of corruption within Ukraine's judicial bodies and where did it originate?
1: Basically, the corruption exists in all countries, uh, but uh, there are big differences. So uh, in the West, uh, corruption is uh, mostly an exception to the rule. And whenever something happens that implicates uh, someone in corruption, uh, that person uh, faces criminal charges or at least resigns or is fired. Uh, so, uh, but in Ukraine, it's different uh, because it's uh, it's kleptocracy, so the corruption is the rule and uh, the lack of corruption is uh, an exception. So um, in Ukraine, uh, when some corruption scandal happens, uh, usually nothing happens. There are also exceptions, but uh, corruption is so widespread that it has become sort of uh, the normal state of society the normal state of the political system it's uh, it's not just ukraine there are other former soviet countries like this uh, so and um, a system that is completely immune to corruption is impossible but uh, in in the west The political culture is totally different. Uh, uh, There is no tolerance for corruption. In Ukraine, uh, the tolerance for corruption is pretty high and uh, there is no political will to fight
0: corruption. You mentioned the Soviet Union. Is that connected to how widespread corruption is here in Ukraine?
1: Uh, yes, it's, it's part of the reason why corruption is so widespread. The Soviet system itself, it was uh, corrupt. But it's the the reason why uh, former Soviet countries are corrupt is that um, the political culture, the the level of uh, the political culture, is pretty low. There is no proper separation of powers. There is no proper uh, independent judiciary. You know, countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union do not have a long tradition of uh, responsible government, uh, transparent government. So it's very different from uh, the West, where some countries have had that tradition for many centuries.
0: You mentioned the judiciary, and I assume it's especially bad when your judiciary is corrupt, because that's kind of like the the, the part of the government that has to hold corrupt officials accountable. So, you know, you can have maybe oligarchs or businessmen or politicians that are very corrupt but if you also have courts that are corrupt, then it's just a cycle. There is no way out of it in a way.
1: Well, yeah, it's true. Uh, so uh, the judiciary in some, um, some ways, it's the most important branch of government. So since uh, there can be no rule of law, uh, no justice without an independent and uh, uh, fair and just judiciary. And while Ukraine is a democracy, so there are regular elections. Uh, basically, the, uh, the elections are pretty competitive. But on the other hand, uh, there is no independent and fair judiciary, which makes this democracy pretty flawed. That's why Ukraine has, has failed so far to become like a stable Western style democracy. So, and uh, there have been many efforts to, um, or alleged efforts, to carry out judicial reform. But in my opinion, they have mostly failed.
0: Despite everything that you just said, Ukraine actually has several unique, pretty impressive anti-corruption bodies because it sounds like it's a whole infrastructure. Um, There are at least four of them. So tell us about them.
1: Well, there are several uh, institutions that were created after the Euromaidan revolution. Uh, So the NABU the National Anti-Corruption Bureau, uh, the SAPO, it's the Special Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office, uh, the High Anti-Corruption Court, uh, and also the National uh, Agency for Corruption Prevention. So Yanukovych's uh, corrupt regime uh, you know, was opposed by uh, the revolutionaries, so, uh, and there was a uh, big demand in society for, uh, for, a fundament- for fundamental change. That was one of the reasons why these institutions were created. Another reason was that the West was pushing for their creation uh, when Ukraine uh, became more Western-oriented after the Euromaidan revolution. Mm-hmm. But the, the reforms, uh, uh, they have only had very limited success since uh, these agencies have managed to bring charges against some you know, petty officials, maybe middle-level officials. But they were actually created not to fight some like petty corruption. They were created to fight big corruption, top level corruption. And uh, in my opinion, in that uh, regard, they have failed because uh, there some relatively powerful officials have been charged. No one has been like convicted or jailed among big big officials, top officials. And um, so basically, when, when the agents were created. Uh, they were supposed to be independent from uh, the president, independent from the executive branch, but in fact uh, they are not. So um, uh, the NABU and the Sapo uh, have been dependent on uh, on presidents, unfortunately, and that's why they were reluctant to go after uh, presidential allies.
0: So you've mentioned that kind of the idea was to create independent anti-corruption bodies. Uh, how is that different from what Ukraine has had before they were created? Did we have any bodies like that before at all?
1: So before that, uh, uh, most most of the law enforcement agencies were uh, subordinated to the president, although there are, there are different opinions on uh, what this entails, because... Uh, um, I will, I've heard the opinion that uh, this this view that uh, law enforcement agents should be independent uh, does not work in reality, at least in Ukraine. So that so this opinion is that uh, if the president is corrupt and if his uh, inner circle is corrupt, uh, so okay, then uh, the voters will uh, elect someone else. So, and he takes full responsibility for all these corrupt law enforcement bodies. Right. And maybe that's that's how it should work, Mm -hmm. according to this opinion. Yanukovych was obviously corrupt, and then he was replaced by Poroshenko, then Zelensky was elected. But uh, instead of actually taking political responsibility, they uh, sort of created this facade these allegedly independent agencies. And then when uh, the fight against corruption failed, they they, they could just say that, oh, okay, it's not us, it's uh, it's this independent agencies. We are not uh, to blame for this. We have nothing to do with uh, anti-corruption efforts. They're supposed to be independent. Right. So maybe it was part of this, uh, actually part of this game part of this bluff.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but there is also another opinion according to which these agencies Should be independent, completely independent, in order to go after uh, presidential allies and not to be afraid of uh, some retribution uh, from the president, from the president's office. I think if 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 it's possible, that would be a great system. That would be a great system. I think in Romania, uh, something like this has been created when uh, uh, Laura Coveşii has created a very successful uh, anti-corruption agency that jailed a lot of uh, important officials, but uh, let's see if it works in Ukraine. So far it has not worked. So far, uh, these agencies have been a little bit uh, more independent than you know, law enforcement agencies under Inukovych, but there, there is no complete independence and they're still afraid of going after presidential allies. They're still um, engaged in uh, imitation rather than... Uh, Uh, some real fight against corruption.
0: There has also been a lot of noise about Ukraine's judicial reform and it allegedly being close to failure. And this is interesting because this reform was also initiated around the time after Euromaidan, but it's kind of still ongoing. So tell us what is the main idea of this reform and also why so many years later we're still talking about it?
1: So, uh, after the Euromaidan revolution, there have been many so-called judicial reforms, uh, many attempts at reform. So under Poroshenko, there were several attempts to create uh, like uh, judicial bodies that were supposed to be, again, independent from the executive branch, and uh, they were supposed to meet integrity and ethics standards and to to consist of honest and professional people. Uh, Under Poroshenko, all these reforms failed uh, uh, since, uh, I think, there was no political will. So Poroshenko was interested in um, creating a judiciary that was loyal to him. He was not interested in judicial independence. Like uh, Actually, in the world, very few governments are interested in courts that are independent from them.
0: And when you say failed, why was that? Was that like in practice? Was it stalled somehow by the government, or what? What actually happened? Well,
1: basically uh, there were two factors. It was the interests of uh, the president of the executive branch, uh, which were not interested in uh, judicial reform, so they intentionally sabotaged it. And there was there were also the interests of the judicial mafia, uh, you know, the corrupt judges who are still running the show. They are still very powerful and very influential so uh since the bodies that were supposed to carry out the reform were uh actually they uh, were formed by corrupt judges and they consisted mostly of corrupt judges uh so uh, fa- fa- failure was the inevitable result right and when uh, all these efforts failed uh so uh, When Zelensky was elected, one of his promises was to relaunch this botched judicial reform. And uh, again, under Zelensky, there have been also several attempts to carry out uh, judicial reform. Uh, And I think in terms of their success, they're pretty similar to Prashenka because uh, uh, the difference was that um, now uh, under pressure from the West and from civil society. Uh, the authorities were kind of forced to invite foreign experts who participated in this judicial
0: reform. And what do you mean by that? What kind of process is happening there?
1: So basically, there are uh, two uh, top judicial bodies that appoint and fire judges. And um, foreign experts, along with Ukrainian judges, were supposed to uh, choose uh, new members of these top judicial bodies. And these new members were supposed to be honest and professional again. The problem was that I think this uh, judicial mafia managed to trick and to manipulate uh, the foreign experts and to persuade them to basically do everything they want. So when one of these top judicial bodies, the High Council of Justice, was created uh, like a a new... uh, So when new members of uh, this council were uh, elected, there was a big scandal when well-known whistleblower judge Larissa Golnik was vetoed by uh, the selection panel, which included foreign experts, uh, while several very uh, controversial and tainted candidates uh, were actually allowed to become members of the judicial body. So... um, And it just showed that there was not much difference between uh, this reform and the reform under Poroshenko. Now there is a a new uh, contest going on for another top judicial body, the High Qualification Commission, also with the participation of foreign experts. And um, again, there are several controversies. One of them is that several uh, very well-known candidates uh, were just vetoed were kicked out of the contest, and these candidates uh, have been like praised by civil society. They have shown uh, their determination to carry out reform, but I think they were actually vetoed for, the exact, for this exact reason that uh, they were against the judicial mafia. So the judicial mafia kicked them out.
0: Are these foreign experts explaining that somehow?
1: Uh, well, I sent uh, a request to the selection panel, which includes foreign experts. And, uh, the explanation was just like a formality, some, some formal excuse, basically that, uh, uh, we, th- we think we are doing everything right. You know, that, uh, uh, so the can- the candidates that were approved are professional and good and the candidates ki- that they- they were kicked out are not, you know, something like that. So there was no, there were no details, no, no specifics.
0: So you mentioned the judicial mafia. So I think here it's really worth mentioning what was arguably Ukraine's biggest case ever of judicial corruption, the case of Pavlovovk, who was likely the most notorious corrupt judge in the country. So tell us about that case.
1: Paolo Volk uh, was very controversial because he uh, headed uh, one of the most important courts. It was the Kiev Administrative District Court. Why was it important? Uh, because it basically this court uh, uh, rules on issues linked to the top government bodies located in Kiev. Uh, so and it had a lot of authority, and this authority allowed Volk uh, uh, basically to be engaged in corruption because uh, there were very big issues at stake so and wolf and his associates uh, were uh, actually were implementing some very big corruption schemes uh, thanks to their authority initially uh, i think it was 2019 uh, wolf was charged uh, with obstruction of justice and corruption and he was charged with interfering in in the work of uh, several government bodies illegally and he was uh, Uh, He was recorded on audio tape and his associates were recorded, and uh, those recordings contained a lot of evidence of uh, alleged corruption and uh, illegal uh, schemes uh, and other crimes. But uh, unfortunately, um, the whole law enforcement system uh, was focused on saving Wolf. So it was when he was charged, the charges were brought by a very outspoken investigator uh, Garbatyuk. Uh, so uh, actually, the, the case was it was initiated by him. I mean, uh, formally the charges were brought by a, a different body, but basically he was behind the initial stage of this case. But apart from this, like uh, isolated investigators who were actually uh, who were focused on punishing Volk, uh, the rest of the law enforcement system. Uh, was focused on saving him the top judicial bodies the prosecutor general's office and uh, the s b u the security service of ukraine uh did everything in their power uh, to actually whitewash wolfk and not to not to jail him
0: and what what do you mean by whitewash what did they actually do
1: For the high council of justice the top judicial body, refused to uh suspend wo or to fire him
0: and he continued being a judge
1: yeah he continued he's, he's still a judge actually he's um, so, um, also some investigative procedures like searches were also blocked by the prosecutor general's office. On what grounds? I don't even remember how they explained it like formally. Uh, but it was obviously they didn't, they didn't want to go after Wolf because Wolf is uh, connected to a lot of like top officials and there is evidence that he was connected to the president's office and that is, he was a very convenient judge, uh, for, for the authorities, so they didn't want to punish him. They wanted to use him for their own purposes. So, and also several times uh, deadlines were missed for sending the Wolf case to trial. Uh, and I think they were missed intentionally.
0: Very convenient.
1: Yeah, uh, just to basically uh, not, not to jail him and to, to keep him on the leash and to, to keep him as a convenient and uh, politically loyal judge who would, uh, you know, do some favors uh, to the authorities.
0: And where is that case now? Because the court was disbanded, right? That was a pretty big scandal in Ukraine too.
1: Yeah. The court has been uh, formally liquidated. uh, Although, uh, so uh, Wolf is no longer the chairman of this court because it doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. but he's still uh, formally a judge.
0: Wait, so he's... A judge formerly by documents, or he's working in a different court now? Uh,
1: he's not working in different courts, but he's uh, basically like a judge without a court. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's getting a big salary, uh, and his, the case against him is still being conceded by the high anti-corruption mm-hmm. court, but there have, has been no progress for, for a lot of time.
0: There were also several big revelations about judges and their links to Russia. So judges straight up having like passports of the Russian Federation, having family members in Russia, and some of these judges even served in Ukraine's Supreme Court, so the highest court in the land.
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, one of the biggest cases was uh, the case. Uh, so, so was basically the Russian citizenship of Bogdan Lvov, a former deputy chairman of the Supreme Court. Uh, Yeah, uh, so he was uh, the second in command at the Supreme Court, and uh, I remember that uh, several years ago, uh, I think it was still under Poroshenko, I wrote about uh, Lvov's alleged corruption, uh, and uh, he was actually investigated for allegedly uh, receiving a bribe. And there there was a lot of information implicating him in alleged corruption. Uh, but nobody paid any attention and uh, nobody cared about this. He was not fired or punished at that time.
0: And there were no cases against him.
1: Uh, well, there were some investigations, but there were no formal charges brought against him.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that a lot of people knew about his Russian citizenship. Uh, and it's actually pretty common among, uh, I think, Ukrainian judges because some of them actually worked in Russia in the early nineties. Right. So I know some cases when they worked in Russia in the early nineties and then they moved to Ukraine. So and they didn't get rid of their uh, Russian citizenship.
0: Yeah. They can say that it's all innocent and doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, Lvo, but it's actually banned by Ukrainian law. So
0: oh, so that's illegal.
1: If you're talking about uh, the issue of uh, double citizenship, it's it's complicated. But if if you are an official or a judge, it's definitely banned. So you can't uh, you can't be a judge and at the same time a Russian citizen. Mm-hmm. So uh, and and Lvov uh, he was fired only after uh, a big scandal happened during the full scale Russian invasion. Uh, and if uh, if no invasion had happened, probably he would still remain. Uh, a deputy chairman. And uh, this just shows that it's very dangerous to ignore uh, evidence of corruption and evidence of wrongdoing, because uh, before the invasion, when I wrote about it and many others wrote about it, about uh, alleged illegal schemes involving uh, Lvov, uh, nobody paid attention. Uh, And after the invasion began, it became a security risk.
0: And also a publicity risk. And have the situation with corruption, both with how much of corruption we have, but then also how actively it's being prosecuted, has that changed after Russia's full-scale invasion?
1: Well, I would say uh, in some ways it has changed uh, for the worse. Because uh, uh, the war is always a convenient excuse uh, for corrupt officials. So basically, if, uh, if there's a war going on, so we... We will hide all the information from Putin, from the Kremlin, you know, but in fact, they're hiding it from their own compatriots, from uh, the people of Ukraine, uh, from the law enforcement system. So it provided a very convenient excuse uh, for the authorities to uh, shut down public access to asset declarations. And asset declarations were one of the main methods of uh, punishing officials. Because if you, uh, you know, find out some information about ill-gotten wealth, about some assets that were acquired illegally, then uh, you know, it's grounds for a criminal case. But now, uh, since there is no public access, and also uh, officials are not even required to file asset declarations at all, so it's, uh, <laughs> this system has been completely destroyed.
0: And what's the official reason for doing that?
1: Well, the official reason at the beginning of the invasion was uh, security. Uh, while at, at the very beginning, maybe there was some, uh, you know, some explanation for this when you know, uh, Russian troops were near Kyiv. Basically, that officials could not even you know physically file asset declarations, you know one could argue okay, yeah uh, and also allegedly, you know when uh, that Russian intelligence agencies could find out some information addresses yeah, addresses from from um, asset declarations, but on the other hand, uh, actually it's not necessary to write addresses in them it's just uh what what is important is the the facts uh, themselves is uh, mm-hmm. the list of assets the you know uh, how, worth- how how many square meters etc yeah mm-hmm. so i think uh, e- even though there might have been some valid grounds for it at the very beginning of the invasion uh you know after that it became more of an excuse and now it's completely inappropriate
0: but at the same time there have been some what looked like Genuine attempts at prosecuting corrupt officials like the case of Knyazev, right?
1: Well, uh, it still remains to be seen uh, whether this is a genuine attempt uh, because (laughs) Fsevolod Knyazev, the chairman of the Supreme Court, uh, has been charged with uh, basically taking a $3 million bribe for a ruling favorable to businessmen, allegedly favorable to businessmen. Konstantin Zhivago. So um, when Knyazev was elected and other candidates were elected uh, as judges of the Supreme Court under Poroshenko, uh, there were many scandals and you know, uh, you know, anti-corruption activists were complaining about you know, uh, candidates who did not meet integrity standards, who were considered corrupt, but they were app- appointed nonetheless. And th- this is the result. And this is the result. And it also shows, I think, that this judicial reform is a, is a facade and a fig leaf because Knyazev was actually pretending to be sort of a reformer. He was uh, trying to meet you know, foreign uh, experts, foreign delegates. You know, he was trying to show them how, how good the Ukrainian judiciary is. And this is, again, the result. And this, this is, shows how much of a facade all this is. So, um,
0: but he was caught. And what's happening with the case now?
1: Well, uh, and now it's too early to say. It's uh, uh, now we'll we'll have to see how how this case uh, will be considered uh, uh, by the courts. You know, uh, and I think uh, well we should at least wait until it's uh, sent to trial. And sometimes such cases are never sent to trial.
0: You've also mentioned that. There have been some cases of success with our new anti-corruption buddies in Ukraine. There haven't been any top, top officials charged, but some lower fish has been. Tell us about those stories of success.
1: So, uh, yeah, I would call them like very limited success, like uh, sort of uh, ba- baby steps, uh, because <laughs> they, uh, uh, I think, um, it's, it just depends on whether, on, uh, how, wh- what your priorities are. It's still better to be. It's still, well, it's better to be Ukraine than North Korea, you know, if your standard is to be better than North Korea, then yeah, there has been success. But if your standard is to be as good as, I don't know, Switzerland, then it's not a success story. So that's...
0: (laughs) It really depends.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So basically, I think that, um, uh, yeah, there have been several officials who have uh, faced uh, corruption charges, like... Uh, a former head of the, uh, fi- of the fiscal service, of the tax service, uh, Nasirov. Uh, also, an influential former member of parliament, Uh, uh Well, Knyazev has been mentioned already. Also, uh, Granovsky, Alexander Granovsky, who was uh, a, me- a member of parliament under Poroshenko, who was very close to Poroshenko. Uh, and was accused of being involved in corruption schemes. He also has been charged, and there are some other cases like this. Uh, but one, one problem is that they have faced charges, but they have not been sentenced yet. They have not been convicted. So the Nasirov case and the Martinka case are still continuing, they're still going on. and. There is no end in sight, and if we're talking about convictions, uh, the the rate of uh, the conviction rate uh, for the High Anti-Corruption Court uh, is uh, somewhat higher than for uh, the previous period before the Anti-Corruption Court was created. So, um, more, m- much more petty judges and like middle-level officials have been uh, sentenced. Uh, it's true. So this, if, if that can be considered success, uh, <laughs> that, that is, yeah, an example.
0: We now have a very exciting announcement. The Keep Independent finally launched its very own membership system. We know that some of you guys have been waiting for this for a long time to support us directly without intermediaries like Patreon. And you can very easily do that now. Just go to our website, covindependent.com. Our supporters still get all the same perks, uh, like access to exclusive events and the ability to send us in questions before every single episode of the podcast. And all supporters also get access to a Discord server where you guys can submit questions to us and we try to participate as much as possible to chat with you and also talk within the community as well. And we've got some really good questions this time. So the first question is what work does Ukraine need to do corruption wise to get into the European union? Is there a specific roadmap and, and does Ukraine have a roadmap to support this?
1: Well, the European union has some requirements, like for example, uh uh, I, th- I think it's kind of an informal requirement, but it still matters. It's the restoration of the asset decoration system. Ukraine needs to restore this system uh, and officials uh, will have to start filing uh, decorations again. There were also some requirements that have been uh, fulfilled already, like formally from the formal standpoint. I think they have been <laughs> have been failures, but uh, if we're talking about like formal criteria, then uh, the uh, chief uh, anti-corruption prosecutor has been appointed and the head of the national anti-corruption bureau has been appointed.
0: So those are chiefs of SAPO and NABU, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: I think the, yeah, the, 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 there were a lot of problems with the appointments of the head of the NABU, uh, but formally uh, this, this requirement has been uh, fulfilled because uh, one, one of the demands was the uh, completion of judicial reform. And again, formally, uh, it's actually close to completion. And uh, the Ukrainian authorities may just say that, okay, we, we're, we, done. We d- we, yeah, we're done, we did everything uh, that was required, but uh, de facto, it's a failure in many aspects.
0: Another question was. After regarding what appears to be continuing corruption on a large scale, even during war, um, the supporter was wondering if Ukrainians believe that Zelensky is also corrupt. This is an interesting and a bit of a tricky question. Mm -hmm. Well, I
1: think the the Ukrainians are very different. I mean, you can't just say that all the Ukrainians believe something.
0: Do we Uh, have any stats?
1: Probably, but I would need to look them up. But uh, based on my experience, so yeah, obviously there are people in Ukraine think he's corrupt. There are people who think he's not corrupt. I would say uh, probably the majority does not think he's corrupt. Uh, I mean, the
0: majority did elect him. At yeah, the because the
1: they, first they elected him and, and then he got a boost because of the full invasion, like this sort of wartime presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's much more common to blame Low level officials, because there is still this uh, sort of I think naive idea that the, the president is uh, some kind of sacred figure mm-hmm. who is immune to corruption or crime, uh, which I think is uh, not not true not i true. mean <laughs> they, so but uh, they, they think that for example, the chief of staff, the prime minister they, they may be corrupt, but Zelensky himself he just don't, doesn't know about it or something like that but on the other hand, even if that is the case, if, if he allows his chief of staff and his prime minister to be corrupt, then it's also his responsibility, even if yeah, he himself is not corrupt. He's, he's politically responsible for that and he must uh, fire them, you know, the top officials involved in corruption, uh, and he must ensure that they're prosecuted and jailed.
0: I mean, I've also noticed that we definitely have a pro Zelensky and a pro Poroshenko camp. So the pro Poroshenko camp, is definitely super active in accusing Zelensky mm-hmm. of all sort of corruption. But on, I think moving beyond that on the side of like maybe more unbiased and balanced looking part of the population, the civil society, the activists who kind of, you know, don't support one president or the other, um, I think there is no mythical thinking that Zelensky is somehow absorbed from corruption or his administration is absorbed from corruption. We all kind of know that there are problems mm-hmm. and. Some people choose to voice it very actively, some don't, but there are definitely no myths that he's absolved from responsibility.
1: Yeah. In civil society, uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, c- civic activists, they are usually more educated and mm-hmm. more knowledgeable. So obviously they don't have such mythology.
0: Well, Alec, thank you so much. It was really interesting to listen to you. Thank you too. Also this week, on May 29th and 30th, Russia launched three mass attacks on Kyiv within 24 hours, using ballistic and cruise missiles, as well as dozens of Shahid drones. Debris from the intercepted weapons fell on civilian structures in several areas around Kyiv and Kyiv Oblast. One person was killed, and at least 15 were injured. Also on May 30th, Moscow and its suburbs were hit also by a drone attack. Some drones were intercepted, while some flew into residential buildings. No casualties were reported. The Kremlin accused Ukraine of conducting the attack, but Kyiv denied any involvement. And Ukraine's defense ministry reported that Russia is increasingly losing initiative in its war against Ukraine, meaning that the Kremlin is mostly reacting to Kyiv's actions, rather than independently pursuing its own military goals. You can find Russia on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning if you like this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, make sure to check out the Kyiv Independent's new project, Ukraine's True History, which is a series of YouTube videos and articles about Ukrainian history, which has been distorted by Russia for centuries. Also, become a member of the Kyiv Independent community and support us by going on our website, kyivindependent.com, and follow us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.